how about some time travel this morning? Anybody in for time travel? Was going to build a, a time machine for you this morning. I didn't think any of you would trust it anyway. So we're just going to use your imaginations, right? As we head into 2020, I thought we'd do some time travel back 1,959 years to 61 A.D. Right? You ready to go with me back to 61 A.D.? Good. I, there's, I, I took a picture of your family in 61 A.D. No, if we can show it. There they are. Um, uh, 61 AD, you can see yourself right in the middle there. This is, this is your family, and the reason they might ethnically look a little different than you is because you don't live in the United States of America in 61 AD, right? But you live in a place called Colossae. Colossae. It, it's a tiny little town um, in now modern-day Turkey, and, and uh, in 61 AD... It was rather insignificant. But the town that you live in, Colossae, in 61 AD, has not always been small, has not always been insignificant. If you go back 70 to 100 years, uh, when it was under Persian rule, or even after that Greek rule, the the city of Colossae was a happening place, right? I mean, it it was good. It was wealthy in resources. Industry was booming. Things were going great in Colossae. And then the Roman Empire took over. And I don't know if you're familiar familiar with history, but when the Roman Empire took over, they created this myriad of roads that all led to Rome, right? All roads lead to Rome, you get it, right? So these myriad of roads, and those roads became significant with regard to trade, and they were significant with regard to the prosperity of the cities that were on them. And your city, Colossae, in that time was bypassed by those roads. In fact, the road went to a place called Laodicea rather than through Colossae. And you'd be surprised at the results of that. Trade went down, industry went down, life went down, and enthusiasm to live there in Colossae went down as well. There was also the constant fear of earthquakes in Colossae, your city in 61 AD. And because of some of those earthquakes and the lack of resources to fix the things your city is literally crumbling around you. And most people would call you now in Colossae insignificance. In fact, further evidence of your insignificance was that there was a famous man who was traveling through your area. His name was the Apostle Paul. You might have heard of him. Um, and, and he was on a missionary journey, and, and he was going through your region, but when he went through your region, he didn't stop in your town. In fact, he bypassed your town, went on to Troas, and then later to Macedonia. But the good news was he circled back and he came to Ephesus, which was just about 100 miles away. And he spent about two and a half years in Ephesus. So certainly in the time that he was in Ephesus, he would have visited your little town Colossae, but he didn't. He never came to Colossae. But the good news is this. One of your guys, a guy by the name of Epaphras, love that name. Anybody's pregnant? Epaphras, that's the name, right? All right. So one of your guys, Epaphras, right? He ended up going to Ephesus when Paul was there. And Paul was throwing this really cool tent meeting 
in Ephesus. And Epaphras happened to stumble into the tent meeting. And the Apostle Paul started talking about this guy by the name of Jesus Christ, who had lived and had seemingly died for his people, who'd risen again from the dead. Get that, right? And then he ascended into heaven. And Paul's talking all about this guy. And Paul's talking about how it's changed his life. And Epaphras' heart was awakened in him. And his eyes began to see differently. And he became excited about this man, Jesus Christ, who, who died for him. And, and he became a follower of Paul. And so Paul sat with him and taught him day in and day out, day in and day out. And finally, Paul woke up one day and said, Epaphras, where are you from? He said, I'm from this little town, insignificant Colossae. He says, why don't you go back there and start telling them about Jesus? Epaphras says, that's a brilliant idea. So he hustles back from Ephesus to, uh, to, to your little town in Colossae. And he begins to talk about Jesus. In fact, he started a church there. The first church of Colossae. Right? It wasn't Presbyterian, Baptist, or Catholics. Then it's just the first church of Colossae, right? And, 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 and he started up a church, and, and things were going great. People in Colossae were hearing about Christ. People were coming to Christ. Christianity was spreading. But Epaphras noted something. That the, the more that Christianity began to grow, the more people that were reached... In, in this little town of Colossae, the more distorted the gospel came, right? Because you have to know something. Some of these people have been living in Colossae like all their lives, right? And, and generations before them. And in fact, there were a number of Jewish people in Colossae who had been there for generations. Uh, way back in the Old Testament, you'll remember this even uh, as we studied Zechariah, uh, there was a dispersion of the Jews, right? So Jerusalem was destroyed and Jews went all over the known world. Well, some of them ended up in Colossae. They'd been there for generation after generation after generation. And they began to come wandering into First Church. But when they wandered into First Church, they heard about Christianity, but also they were bringing in some of their Jewish traditions. And they had this kind of melting pot of Jewishness and Christianity. And they started asking weird questions and started teaching weird things. And they started having their own home groups and, and teaching crazy stuff out there. And, and not only them, but there was this other group. There, there were people that had been living in Colossae even longer than the Jews. They had a pagan worship, right? They, they believed in all kinds of different gods and, and all kinds of different really crazy stuff and actions that went with it. Well, some of them started wandering into the first church of Colossae as well. And, and they brought in some of their traditions. And, and that, that kind of got mixed into Christianity. And, and before long, there was all this confusion of, like, what do we really believe? In fact, there's someone... Who's written about Colossae that has said a doctrine ensued in Colossae that cast a really dark shadow on the supremacy of Christ? That Jesus just wasn't who Epaphras, and poor Epaphras was a bit overwhelmed. You have to understand, he, he didn't do seminary in three or four years, he did seminary in three or four months, and he was shipped back to. Colossae, and it was overwhelming with regard to this. And so what, what, what would you do if you're Epaphras? You, you go, Paul, right? I, I need my mentor. I need my teacher. Well, through a number of different resources, he found out that his, uh, his mentor was available. In fact, he was very available. In fact, he was sitting in a prison cell in Rome. <laughs> and uh, he didn't have anything to do but to teach people more about Jesus. The problem was is that Rome's about 1,200 miles 
from Colossae. But it didn't stop Epaphras. He was an overcomer and he traveled over land and over sea to arrive at Rome, to sit at Paul's feet, to say, hey, this is what's going on. For those of you who are fancy and like big words, syncretism was happening in Colossae. All kinds of mixed ideas. And Epaphras was there to learn, to learn about truly who Christ was, that he might take a message home. And so he sits and shares with the Apostle Paul, and the Apostle Paul, as you know, puts pen to paper. And he writes this letter specifically to the church in Colossae. They would spread it to other churches in the region, but it was addressed to the very issues that Epaphras brought to the Apostle Paul's feet. Now, go back and remember that you're 61 AD in a small church in Colossae, right? And we're worshiping together, and there's all this confusion. Literally two years has gone by since Epaphras has left. And, and all of a sudden, you're there worshiping together, and one of the deacons comes running in the back door, right? And he's out of breath. <sighs> you, guys, you won't believe it. You won't believe it. Tychicus. There's another good name for pregnant. Tychicus has come, and he's brought with, brought with him Onesimus, another great one, right? And, and if you're a good student of the book of Philemon, you'll know that Onesimus is a, a wayward AWOL slave, right? But Tychicus has come, and Onesimus is with him, and they've brought a letter from guess who? From Paul! Paul has written our tiny little insignificant church with regard to our issues. And they all went, oh, well, oh, I guess we should call it Colossians. No, that's not what they did. They slid to the edge of their pews. They didn't have pews. The edge of their stones, right? They, they, they slid up. They began to listen. Here it is. This is the moment. Paul is writing. The apostle Paul is writing to us. It would bring hope. It would bring inspiration. This is the very thing that's going to strengthen your church, bring stability to the myriad of opinions, and be the tool that causes your church to thrive once again. Can you put yourself in that place this morning? As we begin a series on the book of Colossians. Because listen, does anyone know of a small town that once was thriving with activity? once had lots of resources called Westinghouse, and now is radically changed, maybe even seemingly insignificant. Now get me, I'm the new guy in town, right? I love Sharon. I do. I usually wear very optimistic glasses, right? You'll learn that about me. I love to see the glass always half full, and, and I see Sharon as three-quarters full. But as I talk to some of you, and as I talk to some people in this community, if they were to call Sharon insignificant, they'd be being nice, courteous, right? You with me? So maybe you know something about a town that seems to have been bypassed, that seems to have been uh, left in the mire, that may even feel a bit on days 
insignificant. Now, you know that Sharon didn't get passed up by the good evangelists, right? Because even in the sanctuary upstairs, a guy by the name of Billy Sunday came and preached. And if you've never heard of Billy Sunday, you need to go research Billy Sunday. There he is. He's an amazing evangelist. And he literally preached in Covenant Church. I don't think any of you were here. Um, but in the old sanctuary at one point. So listen, you didn't get bypassed. The great evangelist actually came here. But listen, I, I would be hard-pressed to say that if we went to Harrisburg, that Sharon would be the envy of everybody there. Other than maybe we get all the really cool grants for blight. You with me? So, so could it be that this letter has something to say to you, to us. And, and what about spiritual confusion? What about syncretism in our day? How about the culture dictating to the church what it is that they should believe? Do, do we have that problem in 2020? Oh, Lordy, yes. I found a statement this week about the spiritual confusion in Colossae And I just want to ask you if this rings a bell. They said the teaching did not deny Christ, but it did dethrone Him. It gave Christ a place, but not a supreme place. And the people were still calling it Christianity. Hmm. I think that's a statement that could apply to the American church in 2020. What if you were to go to the streets of Sharon? I didn't do this this week, although I was somewhat tempted to because now you can, you've learned I can use my cell phone to take good pictures of John Payton and I, right? That is good, right? So I, I was ready to go to the streets. But what, what if we went to the streets? Oh, listen, what if we went to the pews this morning? We won't do it. Rest easy. And we asked you, who is Jesus Christ to you? What would some of those answers be? What, what would the man on the street of Sharon asking, who is Jesus Christ? What kind of syncretistic kinds of thoughts would we get? Well, I'll share you some things that I've heard. I've heard that he was the David Copperfield of his day. Right? Kind of the magician. Like, he must have been raised in the Near East or Far East. And, and, and he has all these tricks up his sleeve. That's, that's really who he was. He's just a really good magician, that Jesus guy. I've heard that he was just a great man, that he was a super teacher of morality. I've heard that he's never existed. I've heard that he was imagined just in order that people might feel better. I've heard historians tell me that the Roman government made him up as a scam just to bring comfort to people's lives. What would we hear in the streets of Sharon? What kind of syncretism, what kind of uh, bleed over from our own desires of who we want Jesus to be show up in our definitions of Jesus? Listen, I, I believe there's a spiritual confusion in our day that rivals, if not exceeds, the spiritual confusion of Colossae. And get this, it should break our hearts. It should break our hearts. Listen, when I tell you about the guy that, that thinks he's David Copperfield, some of you are just like angry that someone would demean your Jesus that way. And what I would say to you is repent. We don't need more judgment of non-Christians in the way they think, but what we need to have is a broken heart 
that they would actually think that our Jesus was that shallow. A broken heart for a broken people who live in spiritual confusion. And listen, it should cause us like Epaphras to cry out, Paul, help us! I live in 2020 in America, 1,959 years after it is that you wrote to Colossae, and nothing's better. Paul, help us. And listen, I've got good news. If we got to that place, if our hearts broke for our community, if our hearts broke for uh, those who are, are not believers in Christ at this point or have some distorted view of Christ, if our hearts broke so much that we would seek God by seeking those who have written to us, man, we could set this place on fire. So here's my challenge to you. Get the spirit of Epaphras. Are you willing to travel 1,200 miles on foot in order to find the one that can help you in this day. I have good news. You don't have to go 1,200 miles. In fact, you just got to come to church on Sunday, right? Because we're going we're gonna to dive into Paul's answer to Epaphras in his time of need as we study the book of Colossians. You get the feel? You still look like the same people that just go... Yeah, we're going to study the book of Colossians. Oh, well, that's going to change. You ready? You ready? Turn in your Bibles to the book of Colossians. I'll, I'll give you some really cool insights uh, with regard to finding the book of Colossians in your New Testament. The reason we joined the EPC is to help us understand and memorize the books of the Bible. So if you get to Paul's epistles, after Galatians, you have Ephesians, E, Philippians, P, and Colossians, C. That's why we joined the EPC. It had nothing to do with theology, nothing. It just helps us memorize the Bible. So if you go to the New Testament, after Corinthians, you'll get to Galatians. After Galatians, you'll see Ephesians, Philippians, and then Colossians, a tiny little book. You're going to say, how in the world are we going to get all the way to Easter just studying this little book? Watch me. This morning, two verses, right? Two verses in Colossians chapter 1, 1 and 2, Noah's cheating for you. He put the page number in your pew Bibles. It's 983 if you want to follow along. Just two verses this morning as we think together and start this study of the book of Colossians. Hear the very word of God. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. Now you know, when, back when we studied the book of Mark, I like to ask some questions. The questions are coming back with the book of Colossians. You ready? Uh, but as we read those two verses, I, I know you brilliant Bible scholars will get this. Are you ready? Who wrote the book of Colossians? See, I didn't even have to tell you. It's great, right? But listen, don't go all academic on me like, <laughs> yeah, we, we got that figured out, right? Uh, you know, Paul wrote it. Yeah, it says it right there in verse 1. Don't get all academic. In fact, I, I know this is hard for some of you. It's very easy, you've noticed, for me. But I, I want you to get emotional about the reality that Paul wrote the book of Colossians. You ready? At least smile with me, because what, what, by, by the end of today, by the end of the next four or five minutes, I, I want you to go, Paul. I, I want you to go, Paul did. Paul wrote this book. 
Because, listen, if you're 61 AD sitting in that little church in Colossae and the deacon runs in and says, Tychicus and Onesimus are here, and they've got a letter from Paul, you can just go, Paul? Paul wrote it? And that's where we should be. We should be at the edge of our pews, at the edge of the stage to say, yeah, Paul wrote this. I mean, you do know who Paul is, right? I mean, don't see this as just the customary greeting. I know he uses it in a lot of his epistles. It might be repeated over and over again. But understand the weight of two phrases here as Paul is described. An apostle of Jesus Christ and by the will of God. I mean, sometimes we fly by, yeah, Paul wrote it. Okay, well, verse 3 is better say something to me, right? No, 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 listen, verse 1 says something to you. Paul is an apostle of Jesus Christ. What does apostle mean? Apostolos. It means a follower, a messenger of Jesus. So this Jesus that you've heard about, this Jesus that has turned Paul's life upside down. You remember that story, right? Walking to the city of Damascus, right? Blinded by a bright light. Scales come off, and all of a sudden God says, listen, you go preach to the Gentiles. Great mysteries of the gospel of Christ. Man, that is an amazing story. You know this guy. This guy is the guy, right? He's the guy that knows he's a follower of Jesus. And he's writing to you. An apostle of Jesus Christ. Be emotional. This is a guy who's been sent as a messenger. And he's come as a messenger with the will of God. Listen, that phrase is not just some proof text for the inspiration of Scripture. That somehow God has inspired Paul. That's true. It is a proof text for the inspiration of Scripture. But I want us to see even more, because I know some of you, once in a while, at least 30,000 times in your life, had asked the question, I wonder what the will of God is. I've got good news! Over the next 11 weeks, we're going to hear from a messenger of Jesus to the will of God. That's what Paul says he has come to do. When he put ink to paper, that's what he says he has come to do. This letter is the outpouring of God's love for you. His will, his instruction for us. Confession of your pastor. Right, that always makes you shake a little bit, right? Confession of your pastor. I have my favorite preachers, and it's not me. David Platt, Matt Chandler, John Piper, Francis Chan. So when Stoffer gets a little dry, when he's got a little writer's block, who does he turn to? Confession. David Platt, (laughs) Matt Chandler, John Piper. And then every once in a while, God takes the little two-by-four and goes ding, 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 ding. He goes, listen, there's a messenger of me according to the will of God who has written you a love letter. Maybe that could inspire you. Now hear me. David Platt's a good guy. Dave Chandler's a good guy. Francis Chan's a good guy. All those guys are good guys. Whoever you're, well, I won't make that blanket statement. If you have really good Reformed biblical teachers in your life, that's good. You need to listen to them. But listen, it is never, uh, is never to be in place of the reality of picking up this book and recognizing that a messenger of Jesus Christ, according to the will of God, has written to you, is speaking to you. 
And when I finally get broken and I pick it up and begin to read it, as much as I love those men of God, there's nothing better than these letters, than this word. Oh, how I wish I could capture for all of us the excitement of the Colossae Church of the delivery of this letter from a messenger of Jesus Christ according to the will of God. So, who wrote the book of Colossians? <laughs> Come on, that's it, right? Peg's got it. We'll trust her for next week. Be right. Who did he write it to? Look at the text. Who did he write it to? The church in Colossae, right? Super, right? You're brilliant. Academic scholars. Or there it is. They wrote it. But did you notice what it says? Think again about being in the church that day. And the reader starts to read. And he hits this part. And you say, wait, time, time out. Who did he say we were? We are hagios. Greek word there for saint. It literally means holy one. I know some of you. Right? I, I know the Colossae church. Syncretism. Messed up. Screwed up. All kinds of confusion. But listen to what God calls them through the messenger of Jesus Christ according to the will of God. He calls them holy. You are holy. The next word is, is pistos. Faithful. <laughs> you're, you're, you're starting to chuckle to yourself because you know in your pew that I've not been faithful. I mean, he might think I'm okay, but I, I know I've not been faithful. And then he gets to this one, right? Adelphos, brother, family. You hear what he's just called you, church? Not just... Oh, yeah, it's to the church of Colossae. No, it's, it's to the set-apart holy saints who have been faithful and are part of the family of God. That's who he writes to. They're going, time out, man. This letter must have been meant for somebody else because that ain't us. You know what Paul would say? No, listen. I know you're messed up. I know you're confused. But I'm not seeing you through your eyes. I'm seeing you through Jesus' eyes. The very one who came for you, who died for you, who rose for you, who has made you holy, who has made you faithful, and more than anything, has made you family. How exciting to get that letter from the messenger of Jesus Christ who shares the will of God to you, the saints who are faithful, our family. Paul does not write to a bunch of helpless, insignificant people in a messed up church. No, in Christ, he writes to a holy and faithful family. Not as we see ourselves, church, but as Jesus sees us. So who wrote the book of Colossians? <laughs> and who did he write to? All right, I'm ready to go. And that's the long answer, but I'll go for church in Colossae, right? As long as you remember that you are holy, faithful family of God. So why did he write it? 
Right? That's our third question. It's what we asked when we did Mark. Why does he write it? Well, he tells us in verse 2, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Now, it's going to take us the next 11 weeks to unwrap that. Right? So I won't give it all to you today. But for the sake of your memorization and your response, this is what I see as the main theme of this letter. Paul writes, as a messenger of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to holy and faithful family, that they are to make much of Jesus. That they are to make much of Jesus. If you look in chapter 2, verse 8, it says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Hey, be careful, church. Don't be who you think you are. Don't be who others want to tell you that you are. Don't listen to the world. Listen to me. And how does Paul instruct the church to do that? By making much of who Jesus really is. And we'll see that in glorious fashion throughout this letter. But, but I just want you to hear, in two weeks we're going to get here, and it's a shame that we're only going to take a week to talk about it. But, but here's the answer to who is Jesus. Right? So carry your Bibles on the city, streets of the city of Sharon in case someone ever comes up to you with their cell phone and says, Who is Jesus? This is the answer. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him, get this, all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning of the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. That's who Jesus is. And Paul writes to these people to say, we need to make that of Jesus by our voice and by our lives. We need to make much of Jesus. It's why it's so incredible that we get to study His Word through the Apostle Paul to the Church of Colossae. It is why it is so incredible that we get to come to this table. A place where grace and peace are delivered from God our Father through Jesus Christ. Listen, grace given to us as sinners You know the acronym, right? If you don't, I'll teach it to you. Grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. The riches of the invisible God given to us at Christ's death and His resurrection. Grace given to you. It is why we as a messed up people might be called saints. Why we as a messed up people might be called faithful. And listen, not only grace given to us as sinners, but peace given to us as the enemies of God. Whoa. It really is worse than the fact that we are messed up. In our sin, it says we are the enemy of God, Paul says in Romans. But through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we become family. And our inheritance in that family is eternal life. That's peace. 
shalom given to us in this table in the person of Christ who has died for our sins. Why does Paul write with the drop of the first ink to paper in any of his epistles? Because he wants us to run to this table. Sure, to be rescued from our sin, we get that. But maybe, listen, maybe more to make much of Jesus. It is at this table that we say, it's at this table that we know that Jesus is enough. That He is, as Paul says in this letter, before all things and in Him all things hold together. It is here at this table that we receive His grace and His peace, but it is also here that we celebrate His grace and His peace. That we make much of Jesus. Some of you are still back in 61 AD in the Church of Colossae. I invite you to join me in 2020 at Covenant Church. I invite you to join me at this table where we might admit our insignificance but embrace that we are holy, faithful, family of God. Through the grace and peace Extended to us in Jesus Christ. Even at this table. And let's come back next Sunday. Good idea? Let's, let's peer into the year 2020. Let's peer into this book of Colossians. With one thing in mind. That in 2020, we as a church. Me as your pastor. And that we as his people. Will make much of Jesus. will make much of Jesus as we live out our days, both in this valley and wherever we go, wherever it is that God might send us. Let's pray together.